This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the Salesman Podcast, hosted by Will Barron, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Look, if you work in sales, want to learn how to sell, or just peek at the latest sales news, check out the Salesman Podcast, where host Will Barron helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. One of my favorite episodes lately, how to personalize your sales outreach at massive scale. Who doesn't want to do that? Listen to the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz. My guest today is Rob Meyerson. He's a namer, brand consultant, and principal and founder of Heirloom, an independent brand strategy and identity firm. He's also the author of Brand Naming, the complete guide to creating a name for your company, product, or service. So welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Okay, so when you're in the naming business... You put a target on your back for the name of your company. So I wonder if you'd uh, kind of go through, was there was there a special process for coming up with Heirloom? Yeah, of course. I went through um, my recommended naming process and took a little bit of my own medicine. And I'll tell you, it was a really good learning experience because after doing that, I felt like I was that much more in touch with what my clients feel, the, the yeah. pain that they feel, frankly, <laughs> in making that decision. So I knew early on, I didn't want to just call it Meyerson Consulting or Rob Meyerson Branding. That is something that makes sense for a lot of people yeah. that go out on their own. But I, I liked the, the sort of sense of scale that a brand name could imply. And, and I had aspirations at the time, at least, of kind of growing into that. Yeah. Um, and I also just felt like as a namer, I should probably go through the process. So yeah, I developed hundreds of ideas. I put them through legal pre-screening. Hundreds of them were not available. <laughs> there yeah. are a ton of agencies out there and almost every word or phrase right. or combination of words that you can imagine is some agency somewhere. And so wanting to do it right, I, I, I killed a lot of great ideas, but I really liked Heirloom because uh, it, it speaks to how I think of brands. You know, an heirloom is something that has value for for intangible reasons, right? It's your father's watch or something like that. So even though the watch might only be worth a hundred bucks, it's priceless yeah. to you because of the story behind it. And I think that's a nice analogy for for brands. It, it sort of adds intangible value to a product or a company. So the original name of my company I uh, started 30 years ago was, to your point, Jantz Communications, you know, very mm -hmm. uh, sexy sounding. People thought I sold uh, <laughs> phones or long distance <laughs> service or, and so in 2002, back when you could actually still get URLs, I came up with duct tape marketing. And I will tell you that the brand name has served me extremely well. I gave I it, it about 10 minutes of thought. So I'm not going to be a very good <laughs> subject for you. I, I say that, but kiddingly, but it just struck me as the perfect metaphor for the clients I was serving and I'd served yeah. them for 10 years. So in a lot of ways, I'd probably been thinking about that idea, you know, for 10 years, which is probably probably not giving myself credit for. <laughs> well, no, I mean, so many of the best creative ideas, not just names come from that sort of in the back of your mind percolation. Yeah. And that's a lot in the book when I talk about how to how to do this, how to have creative ideas, how to do that generation phase. So much of it is about how to stop focusing on yeah. this specific challenge and let it pop into your mind while you're doing something else. 
So you have, in your career, worked with some pretty big names and certainly in consulting have worked with some pretty big names. Would you say that... So, so, so I, most of my listeners, many of my listeners are small business owners. Would you say that this idea is equally as important for a small business as it might be for you know a division of a Fortune 500 company? Yes, I think so. The name is really your your first and I think best opportunity to, to harness the power of language, which if you think about it for a few minutes, is quite powerful. It impacts us in our personal lives on a daily basis. It impacts our perceptions, judge books by their covers, so to speak. And so uh, if you want people to have certain impressions of your business or your product from the very get-go, the first time they hear about it, then you should put a lot of thought into the name. There are aspects of the process that are more applicable to those big Fortune 500 or big, you know, whether it's B2B or B2C. I think there are things that maybe are weighted a little bit differently, but the overall importance and process is very similar. Yeah. They may have a family of brands or they may have some, you know, some standards that they need to kind of adhere to. So yeah, obviously, but it is amazing how often I will run across companies and they've, they've just kind of picked it maybe because they saw other people doing it or using it in their industry. And, and when you really start trying to do some positioning around their marketing and things, it's like, People don't even know what you do, you know, based on the name. So let me ask you that. I mean, are there attributes that that while every case is unique, are there attributes that you say, well, generally speaking, it should have, you know, this or or should feel like this? Yes. Uh, Although I really like the way you phrased the question, because I think one of the the big mistakes people make uh, is thinking that there is some checklist that they need in order to have a perfect brand name. And there really is no such thing because it's so context dependent. The way I like to frame it is to think about names through three different lenses, creative, which is pretty clear. You know, you want a name that's memorable or distinctive, catchy in some way, but also strategic. And this is where I think a lot of small businesses miss the mark. So think about what your competitors are named. Think about what kind of meaning you're trying to convey through the name. So it's not just about being funky and creative. It's also about what it means or doesn't mean. And then lastly, technical, which is sort of the logistics of naming. Another place that people often make a mistake. Is it going to be legally available? Is it going to cause you linguistic problems in other, you know, not just other countries, but even locally, if you have a Spanish-speaking community in your uh, city, yeah, and you know, your, you guys... your name means goat dung, uh, exactly. in some other language, exactly. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So checking that and doing, all, you know, checking all of those things is, is critical. So in the book, I do list nine different things, three in each of those three categories. But I think it's it's more important to sort of think just about those three areas: yeah. creative, strategic, and technical, and, and make sure that you're doing your homework and, and considering all three. How important do you feel it is for a name to evoke some sort of emotion? I think, again, it depends. I know it's a boring answer, but it can be extremely powerful. I mean, one of the most important things I think about for for any name in almost any scenario is memorability. That's a pretty universal trait of a good brand name. There, There are occasions where it doesn't matter as much, but Generally, if you're naming a company or product, you just want it to stick in people's mind, minds like duct tape marketing. And, and one of the, I mean, one of the most powerful ways to make something memorable is to have people attach an emotion to it. It makes them laugh. It makes them smile. It, it's nostalgic. Those things really create sort of hooks in, into your memory. That's one way to do it. Another, you know, there are more superficial ways to do it, make it rhyme, right. um, you know, use alliteration. And any of those things could, could be a big help. As you 
do this, you have, you know, you, you help a brand maybe re rename or refocus. Um, how do you measure if it was successful? You know, obviously there can be the gut feeling like, oh, that sounds good. Or people seem to like it. You know, all our stakeholders are in, but, but ultimately <laughs> what makes it successful? Well, yeah, that's one of the hardest things about, about a naming project and about so many creative services. Yeah. I think one of the reasons it's hard is because you have to give it time. And so I often go back to clients, you know, that they, they may be ecstatic when it launches, or frankly, sometimes they'll have real doubts and reservations and they'll push ahead um, bravely. But either way, I like to go back six months or a year later and ask what the experience has been. And if it's been successful and nine times out of 10 or <laughs> even more than that, especially in those cases where people have those doubts, they'll say, you know what, the doubts were unfounded a year later. We can't imagine this having been called anything else. And that's a pretty, that, that's not necessarily me touting my, my brilliance. It's, it's sort of human nature yeah. that as you use a name for something day after day for a year, it just starts to feel so natural. And sometimes it's really, really hard to see that on day one. Yeah. Sometimes maybe if the immediate reaction is like, I love it, it can be bad. It, it can fade, right? Yes. <laughs> As opposed well, to often, actually becoming stronger. Yes. And often the that reaction can be the result of it sounding like something else that's already out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it sounds like Apple. And so I like it. But yeah. you know, really, should you sound like Apple or should you should you be something uh, else? I, I always this is a silly analogy, but I was I always used to love, you know, I'd get an album from an artist that I really liked and it was like that first song and I just loved it. I loved it, I loved it, you know, like first play. And then like I couldn't stand it a couple months later. And it was like <laughs> the deep tracks that lasted with me, you know, and I think there's right. a little bit of that. Do you have any I know you have lots of uh, stories in the book about brands and, and the process. Do you have any kind of favorite success stories? That's that's part A of the question. And mm -hmm. then of course these won't be any of your clients, but do you have any bombs too? <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. And yes. Well, I'll, I'll go sort of historical, I guess, because I have favorite brand names mm -hmm. from uh, literally centuries ago and, and yeah. some um, more recent. Kodak, I think, is just a great brand name. It's one of these strange things where, and I'm, this is not necessarily the way to do it these days, but George Eastman liked the sound of K. He liked yeah. that strong K sound, and he just wanted to make up a word that contained that and came up with Kodak. And it's it works so well because it its lack of meaning is partly its strength in that it can work for just about anything and adaptability is is one of those factors that i mentioned in the book of a strong brand name and you know it's it's survived as much as that brand has had its ups and downs that's a name that is, is still very much a household name and they've done a good job protecting it as well you know a lot of names that old have become what's called genericized you know zipper and escalator used to be brand names but they became just everyday words people it's, lost companies lost kleenex the and kool-aid and... yeah, yes kleenex <laughs> is, is at risk of that and band-aid so that's a great one uh you know more recently there's a, a carbonated cbd beverage called recess Mm -hmm. And I just love that name. So that's the opposite of Kodak in that it's a real English word. And I love the associations. Talk about an emotional uh, trigger there. You know, it just makes me think of the playground in third and fourth grade and the sort of fun of that. And I think the beverage is positioning itself as fun and, and relaxing and things like that. I, um, I actually kind of like those words that have uh, multiple meanings. 
Uh, you know, yeah. it's like they, it's like, okay, yeah, this is recess, but it also, this might not be what they're after, but it's, it's kind of like the recesses of your mind or something, you know, I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, that, that may not have been idea. what they're after, but you know, I love it. Well, well, it's also, it's, it's also a break, whether it's yeah, a break from yeah. school or a break, right. like court, court goes to recess as well. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that idea of just taking a little break is, is nice. Yeah, yeah. Some of the horror stories out there, the one that I pick on the most, honestly, is uh trunk which was a somewhat short-lived abbreviation, although it was the official name for Tribune Online Content, so the T-R-O-N-C. And I think the worst thing about it, and this is subjective, but it just sounds like something gross or yeah, at best yeah. silly. You know, it's unlike Kodak, it's meaninglessness. I think it, it doesn't work well for it. They took something that did have meaning, Tribune Online Content, a bit boring, and and just erase that meaning by coming up with this esoteric abbreviation. So I just think the combination of ugliness and, and lack of meaning is, is a real failure. A lot of the, the naming kind of failures you may not even see because the issue with them is the legal aspect. Uh, yeah. Occasionally you do see this where companies have to change their name because of a legal problem. And that's, that's one of the worst case scenarios. And, and it's, you know, the names may be great otherwise so you may think oh that's a that's a really cool creative name but if they end up having to change it that's probably a lot worse than if they yeah. had just had a sort yeah. of boring I, know or ugly I know that's happened to a few franchises you know where they mm -hmm. they were just a local mom and pop thing that wanted to go nationwide and all of a sudden it's like oops <laughs> yes. yes yes back to your question about whether it's important for local businesses yeah. i think so and now let's hear from a sponsor. Whether you're looking to sell your business in the near future or just want to make it more scalable and profitable, Work Better Now's virtual assistants can help you get there. Adding a virtual assistant to your team can help you focus on high-value activities like business development to boost your bottom line. Work Better Now clients say that their virtual executive assistants have made an impact on their business well beyond their expectations. For only $1,900 a month, you get a full-time assistant who is 100% dedicated to your business. There are no contracts, no additional costs. Based in Latin America with incredible English proficiency and business experience, Work Better Now assistants undergo a rigorous screening and onboarding process. Work Better Now is currently offering duct tape marketing readers and listeners $150 off per month for three months just mentioning duct tape to learn more. Visit workbetternow.com. So it seems like one of the riskiest plays is the made up word, you know, because it doesn't mean anything. You have to invest a lot of energy in making it mean something. But it seems like the reward sometimes is really big too. I mean, even if you use Apple, I mean, Apple means something as a word, but it certainly doesn't mean anything to do with computers necessarily right. other than the bite that they tried to uh, put into the logo. Right. But, but talk to me a little bit about, you know, is the risk versus reward, you know, worth it there? Or should, is it really a lot uh, simpler to just kind of say, everybody knows what we do now because the word marketing is in our name. Right. Yeah. Well, a couple of things to address there. One is you've pinpointed this distinction between what I call the naming approach, which yeah. is mostly like how much does it have to do with the business or the brand or the, or the product? So Apple and Kodak as words have nothing to do with the underlying uh, product, yeah, right. but then there's also the construct. And so Apple is a real word. Kodak is a made up word. Yeah. I think that there are risks and rewards either way. I, I think that tying it too closely to exactly what you do in the in most cases at the company name level has more risks huh. 
than rewards. International business machines, for example. Yes, or International <laughs> House of Pancakes. Yeah, and they right. ran this big ad flipping the P to B for burgers. And as much as that campaign may have worked for them, I still think that name has yeah. kind of trapped yeah. them into yeah, people yeah. thinking it's just for breakfast. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so let's talk about, we've started, oh, oh, first I had to share my horror, not horror story, but one that I don't like. A lot of the utilities have renamed because they were true monopolistic utilities. And so they could call themselves Kansas City Power and Light. But now that they've joined forces and they're no longer sort of the monopolistic utility, Kansas City Power and Light is now Evergy, A-V-E-R-G-Y. And I think it's the worst name in the world. <laughs> and, and, and it's because of how it feels in your mouth when you say it, right? It's yeah, sound, yeah. just those sounds. Yeah, it's, it's hard to quantify, but those that combination of sounds kind of like trunk yeah. just doesn't feel quite right. And, and I feel like there's one sort of naming practice that people do is they try to squish words together and make up a word rather than like a Kodak, which is totally meaningless. Evergy probably had something to do with like evergreen energy or something like that, that they stuck together. Right. And what we talk about a lot in naming is is linguistic naturalness, which is a fancy way of saying, does it, does it feel like a real word? And I think Kodak, it's similar to Kodiak and, and, you know, if you said it to a kid, they'd say, what does it mean? Because it sounds like a real word. Whereas Yeah, Evergy, it feels concocted. Yeah. And there was a lot of that also in, you know, well, it's it's been around forever with things like Jello and Windex, these different suffixes that were popular. But it really was at its heyday in kind of the 90s and early 2000s around, you know, dot-com boom, yeah. 1.0 with Alta Vista and, and yeah. things like this. Yeah. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about, because you have a process for how you go yeah. about doing this, right? So let's talk a little bit about the steps in kind of how brand naming works. Sure. So the first thing that we recommend doing is coming up with a naming brief and anyone who's done any kind of creative work will be familiar with the concept of a creative brief, but getting down on paper, exactly what you want this name to do, what kinds of names are inbounds and out of bounds, and then critically making sure that everyone involved has seen that brief and agreed on it. And in some cases signed off once that's done, then you, you get into kind of the quote unquote fun part of just generating names and you come up with it may surprise people to hear that on a typical naming project, we'll come up with hundreds yeah. or sometimes over a thousand ideas. Do you, do you um, use any of these tools that are these AI generators that are out there now to kind of start that process? I, I don't. I know okay. other namers do. I okay. have used their, there are crowdsourcing tools as well, which oh, okay. I, I have used once or twice, but generally I'll use a, a small team of professional namers who have a lot of experience and they'll okay. put hours and hours into this. And the reason we come up with so many is, is so that we still have some left after the next few steps, which are yeah, yeah, yeah. shortlisting. So pulling the, the best out of that long, long list and putting those through preliminary trademark screening and linguistic screening, which is to avoid some of the pitfalls that we've already talked about, like finding out somebody else is using the name or finding sure. out it means something gross in another language. Once we get that that shorter list then that's gone through that, we present names. So this is in a consultant to client format, obviously. But even if you're doing this inside your company or for your own company, you might want to present to your colleagues or you know, to your friends or family that's helping you make this decision, if that's the case. And that active presenting names is something that's often really overlooked. The, the gut way that people do this is they'll just say, Hey, what do you think of this name? Or they'll email 10 ideas to their friend and say, pick the best one. Yeah. And that never works. <laughs> you, you really have to put a lot of thought into providing the right context, priming your audience for this, the kind of decision that they're about to make and how they should evaluate these different options. 
Yeah, Otherwise, maybe even, maybe even like what's the brand promise? I mean, just a lot of exactly. like context that that is going to make it relevant or not. Yeah, and if yeah. you you may may have experienced this, but if you just say like, "What do you think of these three ideas?" Right. Usually, it'll be uh, those suck. I could have come up with something better, <laughs> or or even if they like one of them, they may not like it for the right reason. And then after that, you still have to do a deeper legal search, usually that you've done in that preliminary stage. And once you have that those deeper legal, that, that sort of official legal opinion from a trademark attorney, that's when you can make your final decision. And so that's the last step uh, is just narrowing it down to one. So given the fact that, that you've sort of admitted that time will tell whether or not it was a good name, you know, do you, is there a lot of kind of gut wrenching about like, okay, we're all in on this? Yeah. I mean, it depends on who's making the decision. I do feel that it's generally helpful to have one person who's has ultimate responsibility yeah, for, for making yeah. the, the or call. Nobody, or nobody decides. Right. <laughs> or at least have an odd number. So there's a tiebreaker because what'll kill this is the, you know, trying to get unanimity. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> loves it. That, that just doesn't happen. And that's to your that's earlier you point. Get, you get energy out of that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. To your, <laughs> yes, exactly. Or you just get the most boring option yeah. on the list that doesn't offend anybody, yeah. but nobody really likes that much. And yeah, I do think you can then look at these factors that generally speaking, make some names better than others that we started the conversation yeah. with. I just would reiterate that it's not about checking every box and it's not even necessarily that the best name will check the the most boxes. It's just a hand, a handy way to compare names that otherwise seem good or like they could be great. Okay. Here's a checkbox that used to be on the list and maybe it's not as important. I want to ask you how, how important is it that the .com yeah. name is available? It used to be it's, when we were all getting started in these URLs, it was really, really important, but now there's all these dot info dot, you know, all these other variations. Plus we don't use the web like we used to. I mean, you know, it's like, we don't need phone numbers. We Google it. Yep. So, you know, how important is, is a match to the URL? Well, you said it, it's less and less important. And, yeah. you know, I'll acknowledge that for some businesses, it's maybe more important than others. The, the best example I can think of is I help name a streaming service. And I think if you're naming a streaming service, you want to be able to say, it's maybe more important, you know, go to hulu.com or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But for most business, the easy answer is to add a descriptor after the name. So such and such consulting or yeah, yeah. the name plus, you know, just whatever right, it is, right, right. restaurant. But yeah, for the reasons you mentioned, there are so many more top level domains. Now you can get dot marketing, dot agency, dot yeah. coffee, dot motorcycles. You, you, people don't generally type in the exact domain, they'll search for it. And so I would say take the money that you might spend on getting the exact domain and put that towards SEO and right. content that's <laughs> going to drive people to your site. Yeah. yeah. For those reasons, I would rather have people have a great name and a quote unquote imperfect domain than force the perfect domain yeah. and come up with a name that nobody can pronounce or something right, like right, that. Right, right, right. Well, Rob, thanks so much for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast to talk about naming. You want to tell people where they can find out more about you and and pick up a copy of Brand Naming. Sure. Well, brand naming is for sale on Amazon and elsewhere that books are sold. Um, if you just want to learn more about it, you can go to brandnamingbook.com and, and you'll see reviews and testimonials and you can also buy it from there. And just to learn more about me, it's robmyerson.com, M-E-Y-E-R-S-O-N. From there, you can find my agency, Heirloom. You can find out more about the book and some articles I've written about naming if you, if you want to read those. So either of those sites will work well. 
Heirloom is the name of uh, my favorite little tiny bakery in in Kansas City, Missouri. Actually, by the way, so I get a warm feeling every time I hear yeah, that. An emotional, <laughs> an emotional connection. <laughs> That's right. Well, Rob, thanks again for stopping by, and hopefully, we'll see you one of these days out there on the road. Thanks, I appreciate it. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this show. Feel free to give us reviews. You know, we love those things. Also, did you know that we had created training, marketing training for your team? If you've got employees, if you've got a staff member that wants to learn a marketing system, how to install that marketing system in your business, check it out. It's called the Certified Marketing Manager Program from Duct Tape Marketing. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that tab that says training for your team. 